All right, man. Well, I appreciate you guys being on. Um, just real quick, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, let everybody know who you are, um, what the brand is, and what you guys do. Cool. Uh, um, I can jump it off first. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm Brandon Scott. I am CEO and co-founder of Tequila with Friends. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Cornelius Ornick. I am COO and one of the co-founders of Tequila with Friends. I am Roderick West. I'm Chief Business Officer. She's business development officer and uh, one of the co-founders of Tequila with Friends. Awesome. So how did this idea come about? Yeah, I'll jump in first. Um, so originally when we launched Tequila with Friends, we actually launched it as a blog in early 2018. Um, we've all been known as the Tequila Guys in our different groups of friends. And we came together and had this idea of like, let's just put all this knowledge that we've acquired over the years online and like bring in more people into the world of tequila. We love tequila. It's been like a big staple of our friendship and figure we'd make some more friends along the way. Um, and as we kind of looked more into the industry, we're like, why in the hell are we promoting other brands? This is really stupid. <laughs> and we kind of pivoted from there and we're like, you know what, let's go start our own stuff. Uh, so the three of us flew down to Guadalajara, uh, rented a car, drove to the city of tequila, spent time out there, uh, really got to know the area know some of the the larger manufacturers and uh manufacturers out there and we're able to take some meetings and then that's kind of where the birth of tequila friends really started so what do you think where do you think the desire to want to do something of your own come from as opposed think, to like being an affiliate or being an ambassador and just promoting other people's stuff i think that just comes from our nature um the three guys that we are we've always had the desire to go out and create our own uh, like I said, when we first started talking about tequila with the blog, no, it was us. We were known as the tequila guys. So we educated people on tequila, how it's grown, the entire process. And then, you know, like, like I told you earlier, we, it's our nature. So we went out and just created it made it happen. Like I said, if there's anything that we want, we're going to make it happen. That's just kind of the, the, the type of guys that we are. Yeah, I think it's a very, very good skill to have and especially nowadays where we see a lot of people not wanting to follow the traditional path of doing stuff for other people or doing work for other people. Um, just kind of, you know, realizing that you have the capability to go out and build your own stuff is both exciting and also comes with fear and anxiety of what can happen, the challenges that come with it. So if you guys want to touch on some of those, I'm sure there are plenty in this industry and in this story. Yeah. Uh, so uh oh, Rod, you want it? Uh, go ahead, T. Oh yeah, I would say as far as just the the fears, anxiety, the challenges. Uh, none of us, the three of us, haven't any background in the alcohol industry. Absolutely none. We came in as green as green can be, um, but we also have that tenacity and that the desire to figure out. Like I said, there's a problem in front of us. We want to problem solve. We want to figure it out. We want to learn. So we don't mind hitting the books and just kind of studying, uh, calling folks um, and, and asking for help, um, reaching out to different folks, just mentorship and, and just seeking that guidance to help us get to, get to the point that we are today. And so there's been a lot of people that's been very helpful, shared good information. Um, and without them building that bridge, Tequila with Friends wouldn't be here. But also without the three of us having a hunger and a desire to go out and create this, um, we wouldn't be here as, as well. So I think it's, um, there's a lot of fear that comes with it because 
it's a big industry to get into. There's not a lot of African-Americans in this industry, um, especially not um, homegrown uh, that are not celebrities. We're not celebrities at all. We're the everyday average Joe guys that just kind of living our lives and doing our thing. And so we decided to embark on something that for us is uh, a huge challenge, but also very fun in the process. So I think we've all enjoyed the journey of building this, this thing. Right. Let's talk about the process, though. So you guys go to Guadalajara and you guys go to different manufacturers. What are those conversations like? How does one really get to a point where you decide on these are the two liquids that we want? This is how we want to package it. Like, how did that all come about? Well, I guess you just talk to me all day, but I'll take this one again. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, as far as just the whole process, it's really um, understanding the taste profile that we want. Um, I'm going to kick it over to Rod and let him talk about the process of just sitting there and enjoying the different types of tequila and how we came to the profile that we created. But when it gets into the packaging and the designs and marketing aspect of it, it's really just everyone coming together and thinking, what do we want? Um, what is going to make our brand the best brand that we, I mean, the best version of this brand that we want? And then let's make it happen. So it's just about execution. But when, when we talk about creating that particular profile, no one can tell that better than Roger. So first you have to understand that before we eventually creating tequila with friends that we had decades of experience with drinking tequila whether uh, while we were traveling while we were on different adventures while we're kicking it there was always a bottle of tequila that was close by so needless to be said after all those years we started to develop a uh, particular taste of what we actually love and enjoy so with tequila with friends we set out to create the flavor profile as well as the aroma in which we love and enjoy to share it amongst our friends. So the process of creating it, and I'll just start with the Blanco and use that as an example. I mean, that was uh, many a sit downs and uh, many a different uh, flavor profiles to go through to where you end up kind of a little bit too tipsy to actually make a, uh, a real decision on a profile. So as we're sitting down, we will go through uh, different flavor profiles, uh, whether it was harsh, harsh going down, whether it was super smooth going down. Um, what, what did that taste like? How did that, how did that make you feel when it hits your stomach? Did you actually taste the agave? Do you get to appreciate the fact that this is a hundred percent agave? Uh, do you get to appreciate the fact that it's highland, lowland in this mix? Do you get to appreciate those sweet tones, those vegetable tones? And so one thing that we knew for sure is that we wanted to make sure that this is as smooth as possible. But we also understand the fact that this is uh, tequila. And in celebration of tequila, we want to make sure that our, uh, that you taste the agave. And so with mixing both of those is pretty much how we came up with our Blanco profile. And uh, of course, carrying that on with our repo, wanting to make sure that it's aged appropriately, that it's aged in quality barrels. And um I mean, it shines through. It speaks for itself as soon as you taste it. As soon as you hit your tongue, you understand the care and love that came into making these uh, profiles. Yeah. And then when the one thing on that one that I would, I would add to, um, as far as like 
actually building out our logo, building out our design. Uh, one, we did everything in-house. It is truly authentic to who we are and what, what's important to us. So if you actually look at our logo, you'll see a lot of those things that are important to our friendship. Um, starting at the top of the Tequila Friends logo, you'll see a blue agave obviously giving a nod to tequila. And then from there on the left and the right, you'll see an album that's representing that music. It's like that universal language of love, of friendship. And then an airplane is just flat out exploration. I mean, as we've already said, you know, none of us come from this industry. So, you know, being willing to get on a plane, go try, go fly, go do some shit that you've never done before, go do something that scares you. And then the last thing at the bottom is an acorn. And that's really just a nod to our hometown uh, of Dallas. And then acorns come from oak trees. And you know, being from Oak Cliff, we wanted to make sure that we were able to bring that into our brand and ultimately um, be able to give it and, and share with the world. Right. So it seems like uh, there's a, a lot of meaning behind the imagery and like you alluded to the love and care that you provided uh, in terms of the product. I want to talk about the financial side of things. What did you guys do before this and what were kind of the startup costs like the research and development costs like, like how, how what was the entire structure there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stripping. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> I said a lot of stripping. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, um, I could definitely say the, the three of us, we still also have uh, our day jobs and other businesses that we run outside of Tequila Friends. Um, as far as the startup costs, I think the R&D, part of it, as Roderick said, it was just fun. I mean, I would say we've been in R&D for the last 15 years, uh, trying probably 100 plus different types of tequilas uh, just throughout the year. So I would say that would be part of it. Um, but in terms of like what we had to do, I mean, when you think about registering for a Mexican trademark, an American trademark, filing the necessary um, fees and, and uh, filings and the licenses that we need to actually run the business. I would say that would be, that was like the absolute first thing that we had to do was like take care of stuff in house. And then from there, we were able to uh, uh, just start paying to travel back and forth for, to, to Mexico uh, for our meetings out there, ensuring that we were able to uh, build out exactly what we wanted. And then from there, uh, we kind of just all put, put money in together, uh, kind of just raising, raising our first uh, few thousand just in-house to get our small batch tequila started. And then from there, it's kind of taken on um, a, a life of its own. Right. So do you pay a manufacturer um to exclusively and we don't have to put this in there if you guys don't want to but do you pay a manufacturer to get exclusive rights to a particular flavor profile or do you kind of work with them in that regard yes yeah, so everything about tequila with friends we have the exclusive rights to yep. right so you guys kind of curated this the, the flavor and um you have the right. rights to it obviously Correct. yeah that's that's kind of what i wanted to know for because this is fascinating. You know, I don't, I have a lot of conversations. I don't have many conversations with people that are starting their own um, company of an alcohol company. So it's really interesting. Um, what are some of the other things that you have to do that maybe um, from the outside looking in aren't as obvious? Yeah, I, I would love to jump in on, on this one first. Um, I think going into this, we didn't know how many necessary partners we would need just to get that one bottle up on the shelf. So uh, working with importers, distributors. Um, so the way Texas specifically, but pr pretty much every state is set up, you have a three-tier system. So we are in the manufacturing tier and you have distribution tier and a retail tier. I think uh, 
learning the laws has been one of those things that's been a, a true challenge for us because we just didn't come from the spirits industry. So knowing that what we can legally do in our tier and knowing how we have to make partnerships and make the right relationships to make the business work, uh, finding the right distributor, ensuring that uh, we're holding them accountable, we're working with them to help grow the brand. Um, I would say that would, that would definitely be one of those things. It's just how many different hands are in the pot to go from idea to execution to being in your favorite uh, liquor store or bar or restaurant or club. It's a lot of, a lot of hands in the pot that make that happen. Right, so how do you get approved? Because that, um, that is another thing that I've um, briefly been sort of introduced to uh, by observing, you know, not people that I know personally, but people that I've seen starting their own liquor brands. There are a lot of like approval needed. You need a distribution company, I'd imagine, to get that product on the shelf. And sure. I see your product is in uh, Total Wine, which is um, pretty, pretty nice, I'd imagine, right? So how do you get that? How do you work your way through that? And I think that's where the business development side comes in as well, like knowing how to communicate and make relationships with people if you want to talk about that too. Shooting your shot constantly. I mean, you go into different stores, different bars and restaurants, different uh, promoters, different types of groups of people, and constantly just shooting your shot and saying, shit, how, how, how many of these shots can I land, basically? And I mean, as you continue to grow, as you continue to talk to people, you start to fine-tune uh, your pitch, you start to understand a little bit more about uh, what are they looking for? How can you, as a brand, help them help you kind of thing, right? And so basically working to create this ecosystem that continues to feed itself. Um, as far as getting our first locations, getting that uh, distributor to say yes, and then go out there, try to get some locations, it was a tough hill to climb. And I know uh, Cornelius can damn, damn sure like scream at that one uh, getting those first stores in were huge to us but uh, the biggest thing was for as soon as we landed those stores to prove our point that our product is something that people want and we continuously sold out as soon as we hit stores and to the point where <laughs> we were at a deficit for a couple of uh, months and getting product because we moved so so damn fast as soon as we hit the market uh, since then, we've been blessed to uh, stay ahead of the curve, thanks to Cornelius staying on top of the operations and such like that. Uh, but even still to this point, uh, we're, we're a year and three months into market. And now we're starting to realize some of the fruits of our labor as far as, uh, like I was saying earlier, just the experience of going out and pitching for one. And then two, People are starting to hear about the brand, so the sale is a little bit easier now. We have true data to back up the fact that people want our brand, that we're in 70-plus locations throughout DFW, that we're in Houston, that we're in Austin, that we're in smaller cities and towns throughout Texas, that we have national uh, shipping available, that we just got distribution out there in the DMV. Um, that expansion tells a story, and that story helps sell. And so, yeah, it's it's been a ride. It's been a roller coaster. but it's, it's becoming a little, it's becoming more and more obtainable by the day. Right. That's what it seems like. And it's really, really impressive to have been able to do that. I feel like that's not easy at all, especially when you don't have experience in the industry. And I think we could all touch on that sort of the way of thinking you have to develop to be able to tackle problems like this. You know, but I think you've mentioned 
having this sort of desire to solve problems or want to solve problems, you know, what are some other examples that come to mind in any of your stories from the past where you've kind of taken initiative or wanted to solve problems like this? Or any other entrepreneurial ventures? That uh, you I can, I can say by trade, I'm, I practice architecture. So I'm constantly uh, solving problems uh, within the built environment and such like that. Uh, we're all members of Omega Sci-Fi. And so with being in a fraternity, we were constantly uh, facing adversity and trying to solve problems in order to, uh, one, ensure that our chapters were growing and successful, but as well that the communities in which we were serving were uh, fulfilled in different types of ways in which we could actually uh, serve. So uh, I don't know if any of y'all gentlemen want to tap onto that as well. Yeah, I, I'll say for myself, um, and then Rod mentioned his trade, and, and I do project management. Um, that, that's my day job. Project management in six, uh, Lean Six Sigma. I look at process improvement. So every day I'm out here trying to solve a problem. So that, that's what I do by trade. So uh, coming into this Tequila with Friends thing, it's, it was just another another notch in my belt to try to figure out how can we make this happen. So, um, of course, got my brothers on my side. So it was it was easy to figure this thing out. All right. Do you want to, um, Bren, do you want to touch on your background, how that applies to, to yeah. the problems that you're solving with the company? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been in operations in the tech space for the last couple of years. So we're looking at problems on a daily basis. How do we optimize things? How do we make things faster? Um, I had, when I was working at Uber a couple of years ago, I had a, one of our directors, she said something that has just stuck with me since I've now left Uber, but it was just that problems are good things. Problems keep us engaged. They are opportunities for us to do something better. They're opportunities for us to do something different. Um, so I always try to kind of go, go at it with that mindset that a problem is a gift. That means we found a problem that needs to be fixed and that, that means we found an issue that needs to be fixed. And now we get to put really smart people in a room together and everybody's focused on making this one thing better. So, Yeah, I think the world runs on sort of understanding that you can monetize problem solving for other people. That's essentially what everybody does. And the important point that I got from this is it's, it's kind of like, it definitely helps having a background in different industries um, and working and taking some of the elements that you take from the corporate world, applying them to whatever you start by yourself. A lot of people kind of want to do it backwards. They don't want to get in the corporate world. They don't want to work a job. They want to start something of their own. And I'm curious to hear um, your perspective on this. You know, obviously you saw a lot of value that translated from operations, uh, architecture, and, and, you know, your tech background. What is your perspective on people that just want to jump on to their own thing, start their own thing, learn as they go? Because I think there's value in both approaches. I com completely agree. I think there's value in both approaches. I also think the name of the game is to, like, learn, to learn as quickly as possible. So uh, for the folks that are in that lane that are just trying to go jump straight into it, I say good for them. Go for it. Shit. I mean, there, there is no perfect time. Uh, hit, hit the gas and get after it. Try to learn. Uh, learn as quickly as possible. Be honest with yourself. Like knowing it's time to pivot, knowing it's time to do something different. Uh, but start whenever. If you feel like you have an idea, get get going. Uh, find mentors, find that help. Uh, but I also think for people that are a, a little bit more like us, I think I definitely feel like I learned a lot. Uh, my background before I got into tech was in finance. So I think that absolutely helped me 
um, be able to like help lead our team financially when it comes to tequila friends, just having a background in finance, studying finance, working in investment banking for a little bit. Um, I absolutely think that helped me. So, you know, I think it's really just everybody has to figure out their own path. But when the entrepreneur bug bites you, like bite back and go ro roll with it, just roll with it whenever you whenever you feel it, just start going after right outside of the technical knowledge that all of you kind of brought to the table what are some other you know skills or elements maybe in terms of discipline i think that's one of the biggest things for entrepreneurs or in entrepreneurship is when you get to set your own schedule you can get lost in that you can get lost in going out and thinking you're networking but you're really just socializing and partying you know what i mean so like how did you bring that um into balance and in, into focus yeah, I think it's something that we're still honestly trying to, to get better at. I feel like that's an area we can approve in to be to be real with you. Uh, but I will say, I think one thing that's helped us is so we do we do goal setting, and I think that helps us. Like it allows us to see are we on track to get to where we think we should be. Um, so I think that's one thing. the The other part is so um, because last year I feel like we had our meeting structured a certain way, and now we've kind of pivoted to where we are absolutely focus on the numbers each week we have a whole section in our meeting where we're going through metrics so we can see on a weekly basis are we tracking to where we want to be um, but I think those are some of the things that like help us kind of just stay focused and stay on task and ultimately like help us get to where we're trying to go and to add to that I want to give uh Cornelius a nod he said something when we were first beginning and uh getting into locations basically saying that Hey, if they don't have tequila with friends in there, I ain't drink. And so <laughs> that's something that uh, him saying that has helped me keep myself disciplined when I go into these different on-premise sites and such like that. I'm like, hey, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to support your business. I'm going to let you know what we have going on. I'm going to let you know what we can do. If you're not willing to bring us in, then I really don't need to be in this location at all. And so... You talk about the discipline from networking, the separation between networking and partying. Uh, within a liquor business, it's, it's a very thin line between the two. And so I would say that that uh, line by Cornelius has helped me be disciplined within these spaces uh, to separate between networking and partying. Oh, absolutely. That's really cool, man. I'm not drinking unless my, my brand is in here. My product is in here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to go, like you said, because at the end of the day, um, yes, we can go out, we can have a good time, we can go to whatever bar, spend money there. But now that we have created a product that is um, a premium product that is very good, high quality, uh, there's no reason that your bar, your restaurant, your establishment shouldn't carry this product. Um, it's, um, it's backed by plenty of people. Um, that has tried it and has testimonies for, uh, about this product. So there's absolutely no reason. So if you don't want to carry my product, that's perfectly fine because everyone has the choice to do that. But just don't expect me to come to your establishment and spend money on drinks if it's not to kill your friends. Right. I want to ask you specifically about the manufacturing process because you said you work in um, or you have experience with lean processes and lean manufacturing what have you observed in the process um, of, of how this is manufactured and, you know, what's your perspective on that? Cause I'm sure you, and this is my assumption, but I'm sure there's a level of control that I guess you can get closer and closer to as you do more business, as you order more quantities, but like initially, how did you kind of manage that or, or what was your perspective on that? Yeah, I think uh, initially just kind of getting started, 
um, it was, we were, we were very scrappy. I'll put it like that. We were scrappy we were trying to figure this out, um, coming up with some cash to figure out, okay, we have enough money to go buy two cases. Let's go get these two cases produced. Let's see how long it's going to take the manufacturer to get this produced. Okay, made a little more money. We can get 20 cases now. So we just kind of went through a tiered process um, for our purchasing. And then that ultimately helped us kind of gather data on how long it's taking for the bottling process. How long is it taking for the product to leave the manufacturer to get across the border? Um, so that's the logistics side of the house, because that's something that uh, the everyday consumer doesn't think about. Um, all they see is I'm going to the store, I'm going to this bar or restaurant, I'm getting this bottle and that's it. They're not thinking about everything that happened before, how much lead time is needed. So before that bottle actually hit the shelves, there's about six months worth of work that has already happened to make to, to, for it to get there. Um, but yeah, just think about like so the logistics and like, and there's so many unknowns with the process that you can't control. So for instance, once we finish getting our product bottled, we put it, we pay for a truck and we get it to the border. It can sit at customs for a day. It can sit at customs for three months and we have experienced both. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. And so that's one of the frustrating things about, about the industry. But I think that's also one thing you just have to learn. You have to plan for those unknowns. So there's no known knowns, there's no unknowns. There's the things you just don't know about. And so there's a lot of things with this industry that we just have to learn and deal with them as we, we, we've seen. So uh, I know Rod mentioned this earlier, there was a point where we had a drought. We had ran through our product so quickly, we went through the bottling, the bottling process, we got the product to the border and it literally sat there for so long that our, a lot of our accounts went with our product for months. And that absolutely crushed us because um, we had a lot of steam um, behind the brand. We had a lot of push, we had a lot of uptick and it just absolutely crushed us. And so that's one of the things that we've been looking at, just trying to figure out, just look at the data and making sure that we're making informed decisions so that now we're putting ourselves in the best position at all times. Because we, we know that there's things that's gonna happen that we can't control. So we're just trying to make sure that we do the best with the things that we can. Yeah, I think um, getting close to accuracy in your forecasting is really important, but you're always going to be wrong. Um, there's never, you can never be 100% right with forecasting. And also in terms of customs, how do you guys sort of navigate that? Do you use brokers or do you kind of try to do it yourselves? Yeah, so we have, uh, we have customs brokers um, that helps us on the, so what you need you have to have an importer, uh, a broker on the Mexican side. Then you also have to have a, import, uh, a broker on the United States side of the house. So just kind of working with the different partners. They handle all of the paperwork and then just to kind of get it through the customs process. But it's just about, as Brandon mentioned earlier, creating those relationships um, and establishing um, good partnerships with people who want to do good business. So, um, but that's what that process is like. So it's really have someone on the Mexican side have someone at, at, on the United States side and then just pray to God that everything is in line when you're trying to get it across the border. Yeah, I can't even imagine how difficult of a task that is. Actually, I can, but um, I want to talk about some of the, again, some more, more of the financial side. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had instances where maybe the cash that you allocated was running low or you had to figure out, you mentioned being scrappy. Were there any 
sort of scrappiness in, from the financial perspective at any time? Yeah, I would definitely say yes, um, especially early last year where we were trying to, um, as Cornelia said earlier, kind of just double up and be able to order more product, especially as we started looking at our business and seeing like that the cash is the big constraint. Um, especially when it comes to being able to close more accounts, service more stores. We just we just didn't have enough product to get to all the places that we know we need to be in. Um, so one of the things that we started doing were um, private placement loans. Um, so we did that. We also used uh, a smaller uh, company called Lift Fund. So this Texas-based company, they do uh, loans for SBA, like small business loans. So we, we use multiple instruments to get in some of the cash that we needed to kind of get ahead in terms of the inventory, especially because, as Kennedy talked about earlier, understanding those timelines is super important. So knowing when you're going to see, trying to at least forecast huge spikes, Cinco de Mayo is a big one, Fourth of July is a big one as well. So making sure that we have enough cash so that we can order the right amount of inventory as he said, months in advance leading up to a 4th of July or uh, Q4, which is called O&D in the spirits industry. So ensuring that we have the proper amount of inventory. But yeah, we definitely use uh, multiple uh, financing instruments to be able to bring in more cash um, and then try to uh, retain um, 100% equity of our business so that we ultimately have the capital we need to get things moving and then um, have the control and ownership over our business as we continue to scale. I love so that, man. Can, you don't want to give up equity. Uh, yeah, if I can add on uh, to that as well, um, a piece that a lot of folks may not even think about when it comes to the financial side of the house, um, when we, when, as we said, there's a long lead time with a lot of these things. So we're paying for product up front. So the product is paid for in January. We will not get paid for that until maybe June, July. So that's a long time to be out of a large sum of money. And so just kind of creating those cash flow issues. So I think that's another important aspect that people might not understand, but that's something huge when it comes to this business as well. All right, that's when, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, those payment terms, I think understanding those is super important too, no matter what business you're in, but especially in a business like ours where you're putting up so much money on the front end. So knowing if you're net 45, net 30, net 60, and really understanding like how that's going to impact you and then like having a good, good idea of when you're going to need the most cash in your business. Yeah. And it's better to have experience um, with that already, as opposed to trying to figure that out while, while, while running the company and trying to grow it. Um, and I love this. This is uh this has been an awesome episode. I wish you guys all the best. If you want to let everybody know where they could find you guys, the website, the product, anything else. So we're tequilawithfriends.com, uh, tequila with friends on Instagram, tequila with friends on all social media platforms. Uh, as far as uh, where can they purchase us? If you go to tequilawithfriends.com under the buy tab, we have a map of everywhere that we're available. Uh, there's also a uh, buy uh, Blanco and a Reposado button on there. So, if you're outside of the state of Texas or anywhere else in which we have distribution, they'll ship you a bottle and you can also get it personally engraved. So it's uh, pretty easy to get our product uh, and we look forward to making more friends along the way.